The title of this morning sermon is God's Amazing Beauty and we will lift our study from Psalm 84. Allow me to read Psalm 84 as I request everybody to please rise from their seats as we honor God's word. It says, For the choir director on the Gittith, a psalm of the sons of Korah, how lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts! My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. The bird also has found a house and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. How blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you, Selah. How blessed is the man whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Passing through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The early rain also covers it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold our shield, O God, and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in you. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and bless you for this blessed day, O God. Once again, this is your day, a day we always look forward to, to be with God's people and above all, to be with you, to enjoy your presence, and to savor your beauty. And today, once again, as we come across the scriptures and study it, Lord, we pray that we might be able to glean very important lessons and principles that we might be able to apply in our lives. And so, therefore, we ask the aid and the assistance and the preeminence of the Holy Spirit to be upon us in this service. Lord, be upon my mind, upon my heart, and upon my mouth, so that as I speak to your people, O God, I might be your mouthpiece. And I pray, Lord, that you might remove the veil from people's eyes, from their spiritual eyes. I pray, Lord, that you might open our hearts so that we might be free to receive from you. And Lord, at the end of this sermon, our desire is that we might exalt in you and glorify your most holy name. So Lord, we pray, achieve those purposes and whatever purposes you have laid aside for us today. Oh God, we desire to give you back all the glory and all the praises and all the thanks. In Jesus' blessed name we pray, amen and amen. I would like to begin our study with a question. And my question is, when I ask you about the attributes of God, what are the attributes that come into your mind? I can almost guess that there are three things that you would normally state. First of all, you would say that God is omnipotent, that means that he is almighty and he is all-powerful. And then you would probably rattle off and say that God is also omnipresent. That is, he is everywhere. There is no nook and cranny wherein you can hide from the very presence of God. God fills our entire universe and so he is omnipresent. And then finally, probably some of you will say, well, God is also omniscient. That is, he knows all things. He is the all-knowing God. Now, these would be the familiar attributes of God 
But there are certain attributes which I feel we have not fully grasped or we have not fully been able to explain and expound on. And one of the attributes that Wayne Grudem says we have neglected is the beauty of God. God is beautiful. Now, why is that so important? You see, all of us are interpreters of life. We interpret life according to our own human lens. And so there are certain things that to us are beautiful. But it is very important for believers to understand the primacy of seeing this attribute of the beauty of God. And why is that so? Because beauty is attractive. Beauty is attractive. When you and I see beautiful flowers, we are attracted towards it as we see the varying shapes and the varying colors and the varying textures of that flower. When we travel and see certain sceneries, we are attracted towards its beauty, the majesty of the mountains and the greenery in the valleys. Even the lilies that we see somehow attract us as we see the varying colors of purple and yellow. We are attracted always towards beauty. That is why I firmly believe that if there is something that we believers have to have, we need to be able to interpret correctly the beauty of God. God is beautiful. And when we are able to see through those lens that God is beautiful, we will be attracted towards Him. And as we are attracted towards Him, what happens is we receive the blessedness of being able to see that wonderful attribute of God. And today, that is something I would like to dwell on, something that I would like to belabor, because sometimes we do forget that our God is a beautiful God. Unfortunately, only a remnant of people are able to see this. And so once again, today, that would be one of the purposes that I have in this preaching. Allow me to give you a little outline just so you will know how this sermon is going to flow. First of all, we're going to talk about the beauty of God as found in verses 1 to 3. And there are certain responses that we need to have when we see the beauty of God. One would be reflecting as found in verse 1. In verse 2, we should be thirsting after the beauty of God. And finally, in verse 3, in this first point, we are to rest in the beauty of God. In the second major point, we find the blessing of seeing the beauty of God in verses 4 to 7. And it is accompanied by the varying manifestations of grace. In verse 4, we find worshiping grace. In verse 5, empowering grace. In verse 6, transforming grace. In verse 7, persevering grace. Now knowing the beauty of God brings us to our third point, which is dependence on God as found in verses 8 and 9. And herein, we find the petition of the psalmist as he prayed before the Lord. And finally, in verses 10 to 12, you and I are going to talk about the unrivaled devotion to God. In verse 10, the what. In verses 11 to 12, the why. It is my prayer that as we have a look at all these features, we will be able to see the beauty of God that our lives might be radically changed. You know, if you ask me my testimony, what is it that attracted me to the beauty of God? First of all, I'd like to share the fact that growing up, I always saw God as a divine policeman. 
a policeman who was ready to whack you whenever you did something wrong. And somehow, that view of God skewed my understanding of who He is, and that made me unable to grasp who this God really is. But then in my exposure to the scriptures, what did I see? I saw a God of kindness. I saw a God of mercy. I saw a God of compassion. I saw a God of grace. I saw a God who cares. I saw a God who answers prayers. I saw a God who is able to do over, above, beyond what we ask or even think. And because of this, I saw the unparalleled and unrivaled, amazing, stunning beauty of God. And because of that, I was drawn to Him and I received Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And that radically changed my entire life. And that is what I hope will be achieved in the sermon as we study it today. So we will dive into our text and have a look at verses 1 to 3 as we see the beauty of God and what should be our spontaneous response to that beauty. The first spontaneous response as found in verse 1 is reflecting. It says in verse 1, how lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts. Now the dwelling places here obviously represent the temple or the temple mount in Jerusalem. And this is another pilgrim psalm which expresses the joy of the pilgrims as they approach the temple mount. And in this place they're able to experience the presence of God. The temple, however, here, I believe, is simply representative of the beauty of God. The psalmist here was declaring the beauty of God, the beauty of God, the attraction towards that beauty. He calls God here as the Lord of hosts. And it can otherwise be uh, labeled as the Lord of the heavenly armies. And what does this signify? It signifies that God is the mightiest of all. Now how important is it for us to be able to see this facet of the beauty of God? We have to see our God as the mightiest of all because when we are able to see God through those lens, it will radically help our emotional life. And this will help us overcome our fears. This will help us overcome our worries, our depression, even our despondency. Why? Because we see a God who is the Lord of hosts, a God who is the mightiest of all, a God who is mighty to save and mighty to deliver. At this juncture of this difficult season in our lives, are you able to see the beauty of God's might? And I hope that that is something that you can reflect on. Now, one of the other responses to seeing the beauty of God is a thirsting after God. And this is something that we see in verse 2. It says, My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Now, as I mentioned to you right at the very beginning in my introduction, beauty is attractive. Beauty is attractive. And the result on the part of the psalmist is we find two very important words, yearning and longing. Now, yearning and longing speak about a very intense desire for God, a very intense desire for God. 
The word yearn actually comes from the Hebrew word kala, which means being consumed with longing. It is similar to that expression that we always say, most especially if you happen to be in love, I am dying to be with you. I am dying to be with you. This is something that we say to somebody with whom we are having this very deep longing and affection. And this is what happens when we somehow see the beauty of God. We yearn and long for that. We are dying to be with the Lord. Now, why is it that we long and to be with the Lord here? Notice what it says here. It says He is the living God. The reason why we thirst for God is because He is a God who is alive. And this is one of the facets of the beauty of God. The God that we serve is not dead. The God that we serve exists. In fact, He is self-existence. He does not need to depend on anybody for His own existence. He is able to exist by Himself. And because of that, we know that when we cry out to God, we are crying out to a living God. Not only to a living God, but a God who cares for us, a God who sympathizes with us. When the Lord Jesus Christ became God incarnate or God in the flesh, let us remember the fact that Jesus himself had human emotions. And in those human emotions, at times, the Lord Jesus Christ would be overwhelmed. Not so much with his own problems, not so much with his own situation, but he was overwhelmed with the problems of men, most especially the problem of sin. And so there is an occasion in the scriptures wherein we find that Jesus wept. And so the one we cry out to God, the one we cry out to happened to have human tears when he was here on earth. And that means that he is able to sympathize with us. This is the God that is beautiful. And because of this, it says, my heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God, having this longing satisfied with the beauty of God, we find great adoration and joyful singing and worship as well. This is what happens when we see the beauty of God. Likewise, in verse 3, we are told that when we see the beauty of God, we are able to rest in that beauty. Verse 3 reads, the bird also has found a house and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young, even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Now, the psalmist probably was speaking about an analogy here and he was using the example of the birds and the swallows who probably found nesting places either in the trees uh, found in a temple mound or in the open spaces found in the temple itself. Now, one of the things that I truly admire and appreciate with our own building facility here is that um, we are situated on the hills of Banawa. And our building is uh, three stories high from uh, the ground level, not including the basement parking area. And from the third floor, we are able to see such beautiful scenery. We're able to see the city and all its buildings. We're able to see the sea itself. We're able to see the mountains and the valleys. And one of the treats to the human eye when you are in this place is you see a lot of birds flying. Would you believe that some of the birds that are found in our center actually found nesting places in some open spaces in our own building? 
And this is what the psalmist was talking about. But was he really talking about the birds and the swallows? I think he was really talking about himself. He was talking about the fact that in the same way that these birds and swallows found a resting place, his soul found its resting place in the very temple of God wherein he was able to experience the very presence of God. And that is exactly what happens to us, brothers and sisters. When we are able to see the beauty of our God and fix our eyes on the beauty and the splendor of that God, we are able to rest our souls in that. This is the reason why it is so important to be able to perceive the stunning, amazing beauty of God. And I hope that you will be able to see it. As I mentioned to you, we are interpreters of life. Sadly, because of our own sinful nature, we do interpret life according to our flawed eyes, our flawed eyesight. And that is why for some people, what is beautiful is money. What is beautiful, beautiful is fame. What is beautiful is popularity. What is beautiful are material things or having a house or having a collection of cars or having a collection of jewelry. To some people, that is how they have interpreted what beauty is. But to us who are believers in Christ, we have no excuse. We need to be able to interpret our lives understanding that God is the most beautiful and amazing person and thing in our lives. And we will never ever exchange that beauty for anything else. The Bible says, or rather a song goes, turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of this world grow strangely dim. This is what I hope will happen to us. And you know, there is a blessing when we are able to appreciate the beauty of God, the grace of God is poured out into our lives. And this is what we see in verses 4 to 7, the blessing of seeing the beauty of God. First of all, let's find here, in verse 4, worshiping grace. This is what we receive. So let me read to you verse 4. How blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you, Selah. In this section, what I hope to be able to deliver to you is what the beauty of God is able to do in our lives. It is able to pour out His grace in manifold ways. And here in verse 4, what we see here is worshiping grace. The presence of God blesses our soul. It brings gladness. It brings happiness into our hearts. That is why those who are able to see the stunning and amazing beauty of God are very happy people. You will see it in their countenance. You will see it in their disposition. They're able to even smile at the storm. Because one of the things that, that happens when we see the beauty of God is we are empowered to somehow worship Him, adore Him, and exalt in Him. So this results in adoring worship. And notice it says here, they are ever praising you. Genuine believers will always have songs and melodies in their hearts. I had this conversation over Zoom with Pastor Tim Carnes and his wife Tina. My wife and I were able to just chit-chat a little bit and just to bring each other up to speed as to what is happening in our lives. And one of the things I learned that is happening in California is that there are certain restrictions that the governor has made. And one of the restrictions is that even 
when they are in a gathering of worshiping believers, they cannot even sing even if they are wearing masks. And Pastor Tim was saying, I, I do not understand it. We already are wearing masks. Why can we not sing? And again, why is it that many believers long to be able to sing? It is the result of being able to see the beauty of God. When you see the beauty of God, you cannot help it but, but sing a song about the goodness of God, the graciousness of God, the compassion of God, and the love of God. It is but expected when you and I see the beauty of God. But the beauty of God brings about another kind of grace, and it is what I call as empowering grace, which is found in verse 5. It says, How blessed is the man whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Now this phrase, in whose heart are the highways to Zion, once again speaks about the pilgrims who travel all the way to Jerusalem just to be able to worship God in a festive occasion or a Jewish festival. And I think I've been able to explain to you more than once that a lot of the territory found in Israel is desert land. So just, to just try to imagine if you're coming from the north or from the west or even from the south where there is a lot of desert, you will really have a very difficult time not only because of the terrain but because of the desert, because of the heat. Now when we travel in Israel, we're riding an air-conditioned bus. But the moment we alight from the bus and go out, we're able to experience the heat. Sometimes it is very penetrating. That's why we always bring with us a bottle of water because we could be dehydrated. Just try to think about the fact that the pilgrims of ancient times did not have an air-conditioned bus. It would take them several days to travel all the way to Jerusalem to the Temple Mount. And how difficult it was. And yet, the Bible says, verse 5, How blessed is the man whose strength is in you. No matter how difficult, no matter how hot, no matter how uh, treacherous that the rain might be, the believers, the Jewish pilgrims always had that strength. To be able to proceed on all the way towards Jerusalem, all the way to the Temple Mount. And this, I believe, is what happens to us. When you and I are seeking God because of His beauty, we are somehow strengthened and empowered in our lives. And this is what I have seen all throughout church history. You know, as we examine what has happened all throughout church history, many believers have suffered many afflictions. Some of them were tortured. Some of them were beheaded. Some of them were crucified. Peter himself was crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded. And many others lost their possessions. Some of them were devoured by animals and beasts in arenas that was filled with around 50,000 people. The Roman Colosseum could actually have around 50,000 people and people were watching this spectacle of Christians being devoured by animals and wild beasts. I recall there were some tourists who asked a guide, a tourist guide in Italy when they were in that Colosseum and he, this tourist asked whether there are remnants of Christians in that Colosseum. And you know what the tourists said? Well, all the dust that you see here is the dust coming from the bodies of all those who are martyred. Now, of course, that might have been an exaggeration. But that is 
a, a segment of the history of many believers. They have gone through untold suffering and persecution. And yet, oftentimes when they face death, they would call death a day of victory. Where do they get that strength? Where did Stephen get the strength to even forgive those who were stoning him with huge boulders? The reason why he could forgive was because he saw the stunning beauty of the Son of God seated at the right hand of the Father. And because of that, he had the strength not only to go through that persecution, not only to face all those boulders that were hitting every part of his body, but he was even able to dispense grace and forgiveness. Where did he get that strength? He got that strength from fixing his eyes on the beauty of Christ. Not only do we have empowering when we see the beauty of our Lord and our God, but in verse 6, we find his transforming grace. Notice what verse 6 says. It says, passing through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The early rain also covers it with blessings. Now, Baca means weeping. That is the literal translation in English from the Hebrew. It is a place of weeping. And this might be referring to an arid desert region which the pilgrims had to go through as they proceeded towards Jerusalem. And yet they did not feel the heat or they were able to overcome the heat of that arid region. Why? Because they were anticipating God's presence in his temple. The ones who seek God are even able to transform the environment that they are in. And I know that there are many of us who are suffering in this pandemic crisis, but my prayer to God is that as we are going through the valley of Baca, we are making it a spring. I pray that we are radically transforming this environment that we are in in this segment of history we are able to transform it why because we are able to see the beauty of God and as we see the beauty of God we are empowered and not only are we empowered we are transformed and everything around us is also being transformed why because we are looking at life through the lens of our God. And we know that in spite of the ugliness of this pandemic crisis, you and I know that God is accomplishing something beautiful in the midst of all this darkness. And this will pass. And in hindsight, as we look back at what we have gone through, we will not regret having gone through this great difficulty that we are right now facing in our lives. Believers are able to turn the desert of their lives into wellsprings of joy. This, at this time, I'd like to share to you the story of Adoniram Judson. Adoniram Judson was a pioneer missionary sent from America to Burma, now known as Myanmar. He was a brave ambassador for Jesus Christ. After 14 years of enduring wretched imprisonment and life-threatening diseases, all he had to show for his suffering were the graves of his wife and children. He was all alone and yet remained faithful there in Burma. He wrote, if I had not felt certain that every trial was ordered by infinite love and mercy. I hope you're seeing this. What he saw at that time was not death and suffering 
But what he saw at that time was the infinite love and the mercy of God. He saw the beauty of God in the midst of that great affliction. And so he says, I could not have survived my accumulated sufferings. Judson understood that his trials were a part of the sovereign plan of God. Although he must have longed to be with Christ and to enjoy fellowship of his beloved family, he also longed to meet the spiritual needs of the pagan Burmese people. Therefore, he prayed to God that he would allow him to remain alive until he had translated all the Bible into Burmese and until the church he had started had 100 Burmese believers. The Lord granted these requests along with giving Judson the stamina and expertise to write English Burmese and Burmese English dictionaries, which became invaluable to the Christian workers, both foreign and Burmese, who followed him. Now you would think that with such a life, there would be no bright spots, no upsides in his life. You would think that all he went through was darkness and, and a cloud of haziness. Probably that is what you would make of the kind of life that he went through. And probably you cannot imagine yourself being in the same situation that he was in. You dread this particular affliction that he went through. And yet, one of the things that we probably have failed to see is that he was able to persevere with the strength of the Lord because he had experienced the manifest beauty and the presence of God in his life. And so I'd like to follow through with another story about Adoniram Judson. Many years ago when the great missionary Adoniram Judson was home on furlough, he passed through the city of Stonington, Connecticut, and a young boy playing about the wharves at the time of Judson's arrival was struck by the man's appearance. Similar to what had happened to, Jew, to the Jews when they were looking at Moses when he came down from Mount Sinai. Anyway, it says, never before had he seen such a light on any human face. He ran up the street to a minister to ask if he knew who the stranger was. The minister hurried back with him but became so absorbed in conversation with Judson that he forgot all about the impatient youngster standing near him. Many years afterward, that boy who could never get away from the influence of that wonderful face became the famous preacher Henry Clay Trumbull. In a book of memoirs, he penned a chapter entitled, What a Boy Saw in the face of Adoniram Judson. That lighted countenance had changed his life. Even as flowers thrive when they bend to the light, so shining, radiant faces come to those who constantly turn toward Christ. You know what this is teaching us? When you stare at the beauty of Christ, when you appreciate, admire, adore, exult in the beauty of God, you yourself become stunningly beautiful to people. And that becomes a testimony to them. That is how I got converted to the Lord Jesus Christ. What did I see? I saw the beauty of God's peace and the beauty of God's joy in the person of my brother Jess. In my brother's life, in his past life, he was a picture of misery 
a picture of anger, a picture of loneliness, a picture of bitterness. That was his past life. But when he came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, his countenance changed. And that is what I saw, the beauty of joy and peace. And this is what I told myself. I would like to have the peace and the joy that my brother had. And thankfully, that is now what I have in my possession. And I pray that you too will have that stunning beauty displayed before others that they might be attracted towards Christ. Now in verse 7, we find another grace that takes place when we see the beauty of God, and that is persevering grace. Verse 7 reads, they go from strength to strength. I hope you will not miss that. It does not just speak of strength, but the Bible says they go from strength to strength. That is talking about perseverance. It says, Every one of them appears before God in Zion. So again, what does this tell us about the Jewish pilgrims who are proceeding towards Jerusalem? Remember how difficult and how treacherous that the rain is. Remember how difficult it is to be able to walk through an arid region with the heat of the sun pounding your skin. Remember how difficult it must have been if, for example, all of a sudden it rained and your clothes get wet. It becomes a very difficult, difficult journey. And yet we are told here they go from strength to strength and it is talking about perseverance. You know, when you and I are able to see the stunning beauty of God, we will be able to persevere in our lives. No matter how difficult, no matter how treacherous life could be. When we are able, just like the Jews, to anticipate the joy of God's presence, we will be able to persevere. Genuine believers have perseverance. Why? Because they see the beauty of God's presence in their lives. That is why Paul could then, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, these words, and they are so poetic. They are so eloquently written. And they express indeed the beauty of having the presence and the power of God at work in your life. So allow me to read 2 Corinthians 4, 7 and 8. Here's what Paul says. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Verse 8, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Paul had perseverance. Why? Because when he walked down that Damascus road, ready to persecute believers, ready to destroy and exterminate the church and Christianity, he saw the blinding beauty of Jesus' light, the blinding beauty of God's light, and that radically changed his entire life. That is why although Paul suffered so much more than any of the other apostles he was able to persevere because he saw the beauty of God and this is what is going to pull us through brothers and sisters this is what is going to cause us to persevere and endure in this difficult situation it's about five months already 
wherein you and I have been on quarantine and many of us are asking how long will this be? But let me tell you, no matter how long this might be, we will endure, we will persevere if you and I see the beauty of Jesus Christ in our lives. And when we see that, we will be dependent on God as we find in verses 8 and 9, the petition of the psalmist who said in verse 8 and 9, O Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Salah. Behold our shield, O God, and look upon the face of your anointed. Having seen the beauty of God's might, the beauty of God's power, the beauty of God's compassion, the result of that is that the psalmist now comes before the Lord and says, Hear my cry, O God. This is the natural spontaneous response of people who have seen a God who is not only almighty and all-powerful, but a God who cares, a God who loves, a God who has compassion. This is the reason why we find the psalmist coming before God with his own prayer petition. Now, what was he praying about here? We find here his prayer for God's blessing upon the king who is otherwise known as the shield. The rulers actually were called shields at that time. And so what we find here is a prayer of the Jews for their own rulers. Now I know at times we have certain misgivings about praying for our own rulers because of our frustration, because of our disappointment, because we are unable to see the things that are expected of those who are rulers. And at times we even see worse things, things that are not expected of people who are in high position. We do not want to see corruption. We do not want to see dishonesty. We do not want to see malpractice. We do not want to see malversation. We do not want to see selfish agendas. And I do hear you and I do feel you when you have those disappointments because I too have those disappointments. And I am so sure that when you go back into the history of the nation of Israel, you will find that Many of their kings, most especially in the northern kingdom, in fact, in the northern kingdom, all of their kings were evil. And even in the southern kingdom, in Judah, there were only a few good kings. Many of their kings were likewise evil as well. One of those kings would be Manasseh. And yet here we find the psalmist, was praying for his king. And I believe that it is our duty and our responsibility as believers to pray for our rulers, albeit with all our disappointments and frustrations. We too could depend on God for our rulers for the sake of this nation. And we find this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. It says, first of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions, and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority. So notice here, Paul is saying you need to pray for kings and those who are in authority. And it might be good for us to review the historical context by which this was written this was written during the time of Nero, who was a wicked ruler who persecuted the Christians. And yet, we find here that Paul is exhorting Timothy that in the church where he is pastoring, in the church of Ephesus, he is to pray for the kings and rulers. For what reason? Here's the purpose statement. So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. 
our prayers for our rulers should be directed because of an agenda of the gospel. The agenda of the gospel should what promote what what should promote us into praying for our rulers so that we might live this Christian life as we should because we have prayed for our rulers. And secondly, in verses 3 and 4, it says, This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is the reason why, by the way, I believe that Jesus Christ did not just die for the elect, which I believe very strongly. He also died for the world. Because the context of this prayer, as I mentioned to you, is a prayer for kings and those who are in authority. And the one who was the king at that time happened to be Nero. And so if you were to make a specific application of what Paul wanted to do or what Paul wanted Timothy to do, he was asking Timothy to pray for Nero. And why should he pray for Nero? Because the Bible says he desires all men to be saved, to come to the knowledge of the truth, and that includes Nero himself. And why would, would Paul want Timothy to pray for Nero if there was no at least potential provision for the salvation of Nero. And yes, brothers and sisters, it is our Christian duty to pray for our rulers, number one, because of the gospel agenda, and number two, because God desires all men to be saved. Which brings me to my final point. If we have seen the beauty of God, it would cause an unrivaled devotion to God. And this is what we see in verse 10 to 12. And first of all, we would like to tackle the what in verse 10. It says, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside, I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. You see, when the psalmist saw the stunning beauty of God, this had caused the psalmist to desire God above all else. Above all things, he desired God. God had unrivaled devotion in his heart of hearts. This is what happens when we are able to perceive this amazing beauty of God. And this is what I hope was achieved in the sermon. We have seen the beauty of this God that we serve. We have seen the beauty of His grace, His love, His power, His majesty, and His splendor. And I pray to God that just like the psalmist, there is this unrivaled desire and devotion for this God that we have. This was the experience of the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah were gatekeepers. They were likewise instructed or given the duty as musicians in the temple and even as gatekeepers they were saying here that they would rather be in the threshold of, of God's temple rather than to enjoy a thousand years of wickedness outside this is what they were saying, or a thousand days outside. I like what David Jeremiah says. He goes, if the psalmist had only one day to live, he would rather be the lowly doorkeeper in the house of God than enjoy all the wealth and the luxury of evil. That is the what. Now what is the why? We find the why in verses 11 to 12. For the Lord God 
is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in you. The Bible says here, the psalmist was using a metaphor and he was saying, the Lord is a son that speaks of guidance and life. That is what God has given to us. He has given us his eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. And he has given us this God kind of life the quality of our life has been radically changed we have the peace of god we have the joy of god we have the righteousness of god in our lives we have his guidance through his holy spirit he leads us into places where we need to be so that we are right at the very center of his will and then it says that the Lord is a shield. This speaks about protection. And in this pandemic crisis, what is our hope? Our hope is God, that He might protect us from this plague, that He might protect us from this pandemic crisis, that He might also protect us from becoming bitter, that He might protect us from having a wrong perspective in life, that he might protect us from viewing life with, with the wrong lens. That he might protect us from wrong emotions. This is what we can expect God to do in this pandemic crisis that we are going through. And, we, and if it be, if it so happens that God might take our lives at this time. Well, the Bible says that death is even God's servant that will usher us into the very presence of God. So there is no way that you and I can lose even in this dark scenario that you and I are in. And then it says the Lord gives grace and glory no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Oh grace is a word that I truly treasure in my heart. As the psalmist would say, who could stand before you if you would count our iniquities? Who will be able to stand in your presence? There is none among us who will be able to stand in the presence of God apart from His grace. So we love this word grace. This is one of the beautiful Things that God is able to give to us. The unmerited, the undeserved favor that God grants to us. And then it says he gives us glory. Glory is not something that we deserve. Only God deserves glory. But God extends it and pours it upon our lives. So that we are able to taste heaven in our lives. Even in the here and now. Even in the here and now, we're able to experience the manifest presence and goodness of our God. And then it says, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. The Bible says in the book of James, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. It does not get any better than that. And so here is our God, a God who is generous, a God who is magnanimous, a God who is a father. And he is not just like any earthly father. He is above all fathers. He is the heavenly father. And he sees our needs. He, he reads our thoughts. He feels our pains. He understands what makes us tick. He understands where we are vulnerable and where we are weak. He understands where you and I need um, help and where we need assistance. And he will always be there for us. As the Bible says, he will never leave us nor forsake us. And then it says, O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in you. He is a blesser. 
He is a rewarder. This is the why. This is the why of why we come before the Lord and into his presence because he is the a son and a shield. He is a giver of all good, good things. He is a blesser. And so my dear brothers and sisters, as I close this sermon, as I mentioned to you, we are all interpreters of life. And sometimes I am saddened by the fact that we are able to see the beauty of blessings, but we are not able to see the beauty of the blesser. We are able to see the beauty of the gifts, but we are not able to see the beauty of the giver himself. We're able to see the beauty of created things, but we are not able to see the beauty of the creator. At times we're even able to see the beauty of our salvation, but we fail to see the beauty of our Savior. The beauty of the salvation that He has wrought for us. It is a salvation that is free. It is a salvation that was brought about by His own sufferings and His own death. It is a salvation that is offered to us as a free gift. And we do not have to do anything to be able to obtain this salvation. It is something that is offered to us and given to us for free. We don't have to sweat it out. We do not need to work for it. But it is freely given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ who has fulfilled the transaction, who has completed the transaction with the Father. The justice of God had been satisfied through the death of Christ and therefore through His blood. Our past, present, and future sins are forgiven not only for the here and now, but for the rest of our lives. We have been forgiven. And therefore, that has entitled us a place in heaven. That is the beauty that you and I should see. The beauty of our Savior who has wrought this beautiful salvation. And if there are some of you right now who are listening to me. And you are wondering, how do I get saved? Let me just repeat myself. It is a free gift. Come to Jesus and say, Lord, I know I cannot save myself. And so I turn to you. I fix my eyes on you. For you are the one who has accomplished salvation for me through the cross. You died. And through your shed blood, my sins could be forgiven. And so I turn to you and I ask for mercy. Lord, forgive me. And when you cry out to God and repent and ask God to change and mold you, when you absolutely, totally surrender your life to Him, He gives you eternal life. Your name gets written in the book of life. Oh, what an amazing Savior we have. How beautiful this Jesus we serve. And I pray to God that that is what you and I will see for the rest of our lives come hell or high water, come rain or sunshine, through valleys or mountaintops, experiences, through all the vicissitudes of our lives, even through the blessings and conundrums of life, I pray that our lens would be clear and that we will be able to see the beauty of our God. And it will be a life that will shine through the lives of other people. That as they see the beauty of Christ reflected in us, they might be attracted to Christ and be with us in Christ. I pray that this is how you will receive this message.
And so let us close our eyes and bow our heads and let us come before the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we can never ever describe your beauty. There will be no eloquence nor brilliant words that will be able to measure up to your stunning and amazing beauty. And I myself, Lord, have labored hard and longed to be able to explain your beauty. And yet I know that my message has fallen short of being able to expound the greatness, the magnitude of your beauty and your splendor. And yet, Lord, I pray that through the weakness of your servant and through the weakness of this mouth, Lord, whatever is lacking, you would fill in the hearts of your people that they might be deeply impressed with the magnitude and the humongousness of your beauty. I pray this will be true, O oh God. And whatever has been achieved today, may you be given back all the glory and all the praises and thanks for you rightly deserve it. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen and amen.